we're going to hear from Maggie Hennessy, the restaurant and bar critic for Time Out Chicago. Maggie, who is also a Cherry Bomb contributor, talks about something near and dear to us, the future of food journalism. So I'm Maggie Hennessy, the restaurant and bar critic for Time Out Chicago. I'm also a freelance food and drink journalist. I'm here to tell you about what being a freelance food writer means at this very moment and what I hope the future holds because the importance of good journalism extends to food, too, and there's a lot at stake. In the 13 years I've been a mostly food journalist, I've been on staff at five different publications, survived two magazine closures that resulted in the loss of my job, watched mass heads shrink and fat magazines get really skinny. (laughs) I had just finished culinary school when Gourmet Magazine folded, and that one hurt. I've been a full-time freelance food writer since 2014. I'm fortunate to have a life partner who supported us at the beginning when I couldn't find steady work. Now I divide my time between testing chef recipes for Chicago Magazine, running around town talking to people who know way more about wine than I do, calling chefs to ask about bootstrapping their first restaurant, cooking with beer, or whether or not they serve veal, and furiously writing on the floor of my apartment, pants optional. Every other week, I sneak into a new restaurant or bar and decide if it's a place all of you should visit, too. I use a fake name, but I don't wear a disguise, except one place where I wore, like, a felt Indiana Jones hat, and I got really sweaty because I was also wearing a turtleneck. (laughs) I like listening in on other people's conversations for color. Sometimes I stay for extra wines that I pay for out of my pocket. Often I get to interview the chef or bartender a few days later to ask if they actually did put cheese in that shrimp dish. No. What made their XO sauce taste so damn beguiling in Duya? Or how they managed to make a Cosmo that didn't taste like sadness. Aronia liqueur. (laughs) Then I get really awkward and I tell them how my review turned out. I'm allowed to accept media dinner invites to supplement critic visits, but I don't anymore because it's unfair to the restaurants without PR representation, since I only have a budget to go once. These are the sorts of ethical jams I work through with fellow writers or the mister, or if no one else is around, my dog Penny, but she hears all my ideas anyway because working from home makes you talk to yourself more, along with a litany of other creepy habits. Five years in, I'm doing all right, making close to what I did as a full-time writer. Plus, I like life way more. I constantly toggle between chasing stories I love and those that pay the bills, which are rarely the same. I don't pitch often enough because it's dreadful. I don't tell every story the way it deserves to be told. I don't always get to eat at the places I write stories about. I don't catch every opening. I've misspelled names, fucked up titles, and opening dates, and once mistook chicken for pork, but to be fair, it was really good chicken. (laughs) When you work for yourself, you become painfully aware of the concept of time as currency. For instance, my porn is deep dive storytelling, but as a writer, I often can't afford to justify the hours of research, interviews, and writing to do it properly when I know I'm getting a $150 fee out the other side. I'm not alone. Almost all writers at The New Yorker are independent contractors, meaning they don't qualify for health care or other benefits, despite being largely prevented from writing for other outlets. I'm heartened to see newsrooms from Vice to Slate to Tronc to Vox unionizing to protect journalists in these troubled times. But those protections don't extend to freelance writers. As more media brands have laid off big chunks of staff, they're more likely to hire part-timers, freelancers, interns, and permalancers, another great little term that's popped up, um, just to get content online for cheap. And there is always someone who will say yes to less money than you. 
The truth is, covering anything the way it should be covered, including food, is time-consuming and expensive. I'm not sure how many of you saw the movie Spotlight, which follows the Boston Globe Spotlight team that uncovered widespread child sex abuse by area Catholic priests, but it's an incredible example of what truly good journalism requires. You need patient publishers who pay in time and money for proper research, whether digging into decades of newspaper clippings or legal documents, soliciting Freedom of Information Act requests, knocking on door after door, getting several slammed in your face along the way. And that's all before you've even put pen to paper. Not to mention the supporting cast of fact checkers, photographers, production staff, ad sellers, social media, and of course, editors. The best writing you've ever read wouldn't have been so without good editing. Granted, I get that divulging a city's five best burger joints <laughs> doesn't hold a candle to uncovering decades of abuse and cover-ups by the Catholic Church, but being careless always has a cost. Say a writer who's strapped for time uses previous coverage of an iconic bar as background. If that previous story's writer got the founding owner's name wrong and no one called to double-check, you can see how it becomes a gross little game of telephone with inaccurate reporting. The great thing about the internet is we can correct those errors super fast, but we lose credibility with readers each time. But I am no negative Nancy, and the future is bright. Chefs, sommeliers, writers, you name it, frustrated with existing food media are starting rad, small press magazines of their own, like Food and Queer Culture Mag Jari, Hospitality Focus Mag Counter Service, Food Origins Mag Whetstone, Oh, and you know, cherry bomb. <laughs> and they pay their writers, even better. A 19-year-old Thai-American college student at the University of Illinois started one of the most beautiful food mags I've ever seen, you know, with that like real sexy, thick paper stock called Dill, which honors Asian foodways. All over, we're hearing more diverse stories and rightfully learning about food's intersections with politics, culture, and socioeconomic status. Chicago Tribune dining writer Louisa Chu extensively covered the ongoing fight against displacement and gentrification in Chicago's Pilsen neighborhood, where a handful of new restaurants have been at the crosshairs. Plate Magazine editor Chandra Ram, who is here, she just released a marvelous Instant Pot cookbook in which she shares her story of imposter syndrome as a first-generation Indian-American from Kentucky who reconnected to her heritage through a modern kitchen appliance that made Indian cooking accessible. Another fellow Chicagoan at the Red Eye, Shade Carpenter, regularly highlights local bartenders and chefs of color. Recently, after a reader tweeted about the lack of black-owned spots to support north of downtown, she compiled a list of 24 black-owned restaurants on the city's north side. On Thursday, Bonat published a beautiful piece about the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who worked in food service while running for office, and for whom food has always been inescapably political as the most tangible indicator of our social inequities. I'd like to see more advertisers throw their support behind work with a conscience, where there's evident care in the end product, where power is held to account, where underserved voices have a platform, and where recipes are reliable. I'd like to see readers invest in high-quality storytelling. So here's my plea. If there's a food media outlet you love and you have the means, show your support. Donate money or buy a print subscription and feel that sexy cardstock between your fingers. If a magazine you like puts on events or, I don't know, opens a timeout food hall, go. If one of its contributors writes a cookbook or a city guide, buy one. The people in this room give me hope because you're here. And as did watching the rise of our own neighborhood news site, Block Club Chicago, like a phoenix from the ashes of DNA info this spring. I was glued to Twitter as they broke fundraising goal after goal, weeping openly while I cried out to the mister, people care. 
we have to show that we value quality storytelling if we want it to survive. Because at the end of the day, we're all part of this community. Writers are the archivists and storytellers, uncovering the truth and speaking for the unheard. But they're human. So if you're a member of a group that's underrepresented, or notice an injustice yet uncovered, or if there's simply a place where you love to eat that needs some love in return, tell me. I may only be one dudette who can't always tell if she's eating chicken or pork, but I got good ass editors. Thank you. Thank you to Maggie Hennessy. As Maggie said, don't let good journalism disappear. Find a way to support your favorite publications. And to all of you listening, thank you for supporting Cherry Bomb.